All right, well, welcome back to Mixed Media. Uh, if you are tuning in for the first time, welcome to our podcast. Uh, on this episode, we've already heard Irving Nestor talk about uh, leadership as a director. And uh, now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about a classical, not a, not a media composer, a classical composer, uh, Maurice Ravel, and some interesting things about him. So Exciting. Yeah. Uh, so Maurice Ravel is a, a French composer. As he was born in uh, 1875, died in 19, I want to say 1937, you know, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. And I would say, you know, he's kind of a lesser known composer. And it's not like, you know, if I if I were to mention the name like uh, Frederick Delius, who's kind of his contemporary and very similar in style, like that's he's Delius is truly a kind of almost unknown composer to, you know, even a lot of people who are serious about classical music. Um, Ravel is, you know, kind of a mid tier name. Um, He's most known for his piece Bolero which uh, you probably recognize. It's got this one theme that just kind of repeats uh, for about 18 minutes and it just gets louder and he goes through a bunch of different instruments and then different combinations of instruments playing the same melody and getting louder over 18 minutes. Uh, So that's his most famous piece. But I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what's kind of, you know, some unique stuff about his music in case you're, you're not terribly familiar with him or not familiar with him at all. And for people who, you know, like listening to this for uh, full music reasons, uh, get into some reasons why I think he's a cool composer to study if you aren't already doing that. Uh, So Ravel, of the French Impressionists, French Impressionist composers, um, he's kind of the second biggest name. Uh, You're mostly going to hear, even, you know, in every college you know, your conservatory music history class, you're going to, you're going to study Debussy, not Ravel. Um, Those are the the two, the two big French impressionist composers Uh, and impressionism spreads out to England too. um, Partially through a lot of, uh, I'd say Ravel more than Debussy and and Ravel's influence. Um, so, it's yeah, actually just... the uh, first thing I saw when I looked him up uh, was uh, his uh, impressionism uh, influence is like the the second search term or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's kind of important. So what what is impressionism impressionism in music? And it's a little bit hard to define, um, but people like Ravel and Debussy and and Delius and you know the British impressionists. Uh, Julius is one of the British Impressionists. Um, they're really inspired by the stuff that's going on in painting at the same time. So, you know, they're, they're looking at Monet and Degas, and they're, they're kind of coming up with a musical version of that in, in a way that, uh, you know, again, it's kind of hard to describe, but they're kind of generally going for, generally, I'd say, what defines it. And this may not be like what the textbook definition is uh, if you pull out like a music history textbook, but I would say uh, overall, they're generally taking like smaller pieces and trying to focus on like 
images of something, give you kind of descriptive titles. And they try to do something that's kind of really, well, generally they're all really colorful, which, you know, you know we've talked a lot about color and orchestration. And they are kind of not giving like a really clear, it, it, it kind of stands in contrast to like the big heavy Germanic tradition of music, like Wagner. Um, so they're going to generally have melodies, but they're going to be doing a lot of like a lot of things that are more for for color and effect than for just pure like you know like um how do you want to describe this like really clear lines and stuff. So we get lots of like blurry runs and things or co- odd combinations of instruments and a lot of non-functional harmony. So instead of like functional traditional tonal harmony where we have like one kind of one chord leads to the next, it leads to the next. Um, we've got a lot of things like planing where we have like a chord and then the same chord, but just like a half step higher and then a, another half step higher. And it's just because we want to dwell on that like sound of that chord. Things like that. Just in, in general, um, oh, use of like exotic scales, like uh, whole tone scales. That's something that really comes about, yeah, in, you know, music in general through the um uh fr- through the impressionists although we don't want to like ignore music history like most people do a lot of a lot of really cool effects like that and other orchestration effects which kind of get attributed to other composers are actually first occur in the ru- you know Russian world um like the first real whole tone scale use prominent ho- whole tone scale use was actually like 7 years before these people uh, like Ravel um, in Ruslan and Ludmila, the opera by Glinka, but that tends to get ignored. Anyway, but you know, a lot of these things are, are popularized by people like Ravel and, and Debussy. And that's generally what Impressionism is. It's kind of giving a like a a kind of colorful uh, but indistinct picture of of something. Of course, it can be like done on a larger scale, um, like some of Ravel's pieces. But mostly, that's what, what these pieces are. They're you know short, four or five minute things that have descriptive titles. And Ravel does a lot of that, like Debussy, things like you know a boat tossed on the waves or uh, the swaying of a of a decaying body that was still hanging from where it was like uh, where the person had been hanged. You know the pictures like that and setting them to music. So, so some things that I think are, are really distinctive about his music. And, um, you know, you could point to maybe some of these things in, in, in Debussy too, but I generally just, maybe I'm going to, you know, take some heat from people and you're welcome to criticize me in the comments or, or anywhere. But honestly, I like Ravel much more than Debussy. If anything, Ravel is probably my favorite in, in a classical you know, the strictly classical world. He's probably my favorite non-Russian composer. Hmm. Okay, so so what's distinct about Ravel's music? And some of this is a contrast to Debussy, but a lot of it's just things that Debussy does too, but I think Ravel does better. Ravel is one of the best orchestrators of all time. And it's not just like in his, you know, understanding of orchestral color, which is fantastic. And if you just, if you want to understand what orchestral color is, just like put on Ravel. 
and you, you, you'll get it and like compare that to I don't know something like I'm not saying that Wagner is a bad orchestrator but just listen if you listen to that you can like you know if you listen to like something by Wagner and listen to something by Ravel right after each other I think you'll get an idea of what, what I mean by like color what musicians tend to mean when they say color if you're not familiar with that term but he's also so interesting because he not only he wrote a lot for piano and then he orchestrated his own works and also pretty famously um the uh, musorgsky's uh, pictures at an exhibition uh so a uh, russian piano piece that it, he he orchestrated uh and and quite famously so not only can you just study his orchestration straight up, but you can study, you know, the pieces that he orchestrated, whether they're his own or other people's, you know, take, take things that are not for orchestra and then see how he gave them to the orchestra. And that gives you a really interesting window into how he, he thinks. Because, you know, if you, if you just try and study orchestration, you don't see, like, the background to it, like in just a gigantic orchestral piece. You know, you can... You can guess why certain decisions were made but it's much easier to see like well you know why did he he, he could have could have had other options if he you know if you're looking at the piano score and you see like what his thought process is so he it's a lot of his orchestrations of piano pieces which are just fantastic to learn from one another reason why i really like him so much is that uh kind of in contrast to a lot of uh other composers his melodies are really like he has really really pretty melodies but they're not heavy-handed melodies they're not the kind of thing that someone's going to you know an opera singer's going to like belt out and it's going to sound like somebody's you know some like massively emotional thing like they're they're really beautiful and that goes for his textures too and generally in general they're just really light textures so it's pretty but it doesn't feel massive you're not like hit by a wall of brass a lot of woodwinds and strings. And I think in some ways that's maybe his uh, biggest legacy, which I'll talk about um, in, in a minute. But in, in general, it's, just, it's never overbearing. It, you know, you never get, I never get exhausted while I listen to it. Whereas like Mahler you know, is a great composer, or Wagner, a great composer. But for me, at least, after a while, my ears get tired of hearing like these walls of brass. And he's really a great uh great example of you know how to make what you write for every instrument be totally natural it might be really difficult to do and sometimes in the you know his piano stuff he would write things that are technically not playable but he would include them anyway as to as like a um kind of indication of what he want, like the general style he wanted and like what you should aspire to even if you can't physically do it. But in general, you know, everything is really natural and even even on things that are not his instrument at all, they're just, they, they, they work really well. Mm. And also I think he, he his uh, flute solo, which is actually a gigantic flute section solo um, in the, towards the end of his uh, ballet, Daphnis at Chloe, uh, I think it's the best flute solo outside of the Russian world. I love playing it. So, you know, maybe that's my personal bias. I was going to say, how does one acquire that skill of uh, writing well from for instruments that you personally don't know? So is it 
you know, reading, observing, what is, uh, how does that work? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. So, you know, you got to study them, those instruments, and study examples of things that are written for them. Uh, you also want to talk to players who, who play those things. And they're, they're honestly the best source. And then I think it's also really helpful if you just try playing the instrument yourself. I mean, you know, even just you know, pick it up and see what it's like to hold a trumpet and like, mm. you know, what's what happens and, and what sort of things even to someone, you know, who is not an expert on it seem like awkward on it. Mm. Uh, some other some other things uh, about him, uh, things that, that I think are important to note if you're going to, you know, spend some time studying him and, and I think they are relevant uh, to to media composers if that's why you're you're listening to this he's really great at incorporating a whole bunch of different styles into his music so and though they all you know are generally under the blanket of impressionism and and all of these things are distinctively in his own voice there are lots of you know he's got um, incorporating broke style um, Rococo style which is a really kind of specialized thing um, and he's even got like, you know, he studies studied jazz, and he actually George Gershwin went over to France and tried to study with him, and he basically said, uh, "I'm not going to teach you because I'd rather have a you know a Gersh another ha- have Gershwin exist in the world than um, uh, Gershwin <laughs> try and sound like a bad Ravel." But oh. no, but you know, he, he's certainly aware of, of of jazz, and he incorporates that. Uh, he also was a very good teacher, not that he taught a lot of people. He was um, uh, Vaughn Williams' teacher, um, and I know I've mentioned Vaughn Williams a few times on the show, uh, so influence there. Uh, so he, he's a really, if you're going to study his music and listen to it, uh, he's a really good example of how to you know, incorporate a bunch of different styles while still retaining your own voice. So I would listen to that. And... It's also really interesting to note how he responds really directly to the events of the world around him, um, which is not something that every composer did overtly. He he was very, um, you know, did a lot of commentary, musical commentary on especially the Second World War, uh, the lead up to it. And then he actually served as like a, um, truck driver for the French military during the war, mm. and um, then writing pieces for all of his friends who died during the war. Um, so you know, social commentary that way, without like not not like pol- heavy-handed political commentary, but you know, comment musical commentary on what was happening in in the world around him. So that's something else you can uh, pay attention to in his music. Uh, so I'm just gonna list some pieces in case you're not familiar with him some really great things i'd recommend listening to and maybe we can throw some links in uh, when we get this Mm -hmm. up later um so obviously i mentioned bolero which is his most famous piece um but i really cannot recommend highly enough uh his longest piece the uh ballet daphnis at chloe um which was uh written for the Ballet Russe, actually. Um, and I think it was kind of the biggest piece right of the year before the Rite of Spring. It's kind of an interesting contrast if you listen to that and then listen to the Rite of Spring. Um, 
it shows you where music was in 1912 and 1913. Um, but, you know, Daphne and Chloe, like I said, be- best non-Russian flute solo, which is one of my overall favorite pieces and really great pieces to listen to be absorbed in its colors. Um, his string quartet is also a really great piece uh, if you want to study natural writing for strings. Um, and then a lot of his piano stuff, uh, most of which he orchestrated things like uh, Le Tambo de Kufrin, um, Mirars, Gaspar de la Noit, um, and then his orchestral piece, La Valse, which is uh, kind of about the end of the kind of uh, end of, of French culture in the face of, uh, and, and also Germanic culture in the face of World War I. Um, those are all really cool pieces to listen to that I, I highly recommend. Um, yeah, and then just a, a few other you know things about why I think he's relevant to uh, to media composers. Again, if that's uh, why you're here, he's he's got a really strong sense of musical drama. Even though he's like I said, a lot of his pieces are kind of small. Uh, pictures you know capturing like non-moving things um he has a really great way of coloring these things and doing it really lightly without being heavy-handed and i think in some ways that's that's kind of he's is sort of a forerunner of a lot of more not necessarily totally atmospheric because he's not atmospheric you know he's got atmosphere but also melody but he's kind of a forerunner in that sense of of at more atmospheric music um, that still has that sense of drama so i think that's another reason, that's a good reason to study him. I honestly think that, you know, I, I know a couple of shows ago I mentioned that Max Steiner uh, said that, it, you know, oh, if Wagner were alive, Wagner would be the greatest film composer. Um, I remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I, I disagree. I think maybe, maybe that might have been true in like 1930, but I think in 2021, um, if any, you know, classical composer should come back from the grave and, and be a great film composer. I think Ravel would probably be be the winner, uh, just because of that sense of drama and also just like having really beautiful melodies that are so light they kind of can float through scenes and be really colorful. Is also a really big influence on Desplat, who is obviously a French composer. So I, you know, I have to imagine that Desplat is listen to Ravel extensively. Um, I there are like overt echoes, I think, of Ravel. Uh, like Ravel's piano concerto, I think, is a huge influence on uh, Desplat's score for uh, Little Women from I think 2019. Um, like I think that's pretty much. There's no way that it's not an influence, mm. um, but just in in general, in all of Desplat's music, and Desplat has that same sense of like, kind of happy you know lyricism um and and these really light textures that are just kind of almost almost impressionistically painting uh scenes and uh you know obviously he had a huge influence on uh vaughn williams who has uh had a lot of influence on on composers including john williams and honestly i think um, I, I can't say this is like a you know direct influence on, on, on John Williams, but I I think if you want to look at 
some things that are sort of they could have been influences if they if they were not influences on uh, Williams' lighter fantasy music, things like Hook and uh, the first two Harry Potter films. To me, those are very Revelian overall, and just you know, kind of light, light, not really like not brass dominated like Star Wars, but you know, kind of nice floating melodies and um, kind of lighter orchestral colors. Um, so, you know, yeah, even if those aren't like overt influences on Williams, I think that um, you can you can get some of what Williams was doing if you look listen to. Ravel's music. So I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons why he would have been a great film composer and why uh, his his music is really great stuff to study if you are a film composer and you are not studying them and also not already studying him. And also, just I don't know personally, I think he's he's a great person, great composer to just listen to. He's uh, I, I've noticed also. Uh you know, looking at the analytics around his name, I noticed that he comes up a lot alongside writing for strings in particular. Um, and, uh, mm. so I don't know, I guess that's a, it's like a high demand topic, um, writing for strings in general, apparently. So, yeah, well, I would say that if you're not a string player, which a, the vast majority of composers are not, um, and if you're going to try and do something orchestral, you know that's probably the hardest thing to do because strings are so fundamental to the orchestra, and they are very different than piano, and you know require a very different kind of thinking than woodwinds. And I mean, I admit that uh, writing for strings is definitely my my weakness. So yeah, like I said, uh, Ravel's string quartet is a great great piece to look at. Cool. Yeah, that's basically what I've got on Ravel. Yeah, so that's uh, our good old friend Maurice. <laughs> um, that's really cool, though. I guess we'll uh, we'll uh, end it there. Oh yeah, news. Uh, I'll I'll go first. This is not so much news as a big fat I told you so. Go back to my episode on inflation. Go rewatch it. Absorb the information, not financial advice, but absorb the information. I said, I said the odds that everything that they're saying is right about short-term inflation is probably wrong, and I was right. I just got to say that, and uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should do a little bit more of that sort of like um, entrepreneurs' uh, sort of outlook on the future, sort of things, ways to protect yourself, and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I don't know. I'm hearing that it's still temporary, <laughs> even though uh, like months ago they were like, oh, in, in two months you'll see it in the data. I mean, it's like five months later and it's still uh, it's still the same way it was um, at much higher levels than I predicted it probably would be in that video. So I recommend that uh, you protect yourself and that you don't uh, just, uh, you know, people have different uh, motivations for what they do which also means like the Fed has its own motivations for what it does. So don't just make your financial decisions based off of one data point is all I'll say. Um, if you've been in the stock market, you've been doing probably pretty well. And uh, that was a major asset class I said to invest in to uh, avoid inflation because stocks get adjusted up with inflation. Ironically, riskier assets go up with inflation because their growth potential um, 
And crypto has been doing pretty well too. So I just got to put that out there. Um, just got to put that out there. <laughs> Anything in the music world? Um, you know, I haven't kept up with too much this week with, with uh, the move, but I, I didn't, didn't notice, uh, not, not music related, but I know it's kind of still technically an unconfirmed rumor, but it sounds like uh, Disney is going to be renewing Kathleen Kennedy's contract as what? president of Lucasfilm. It's, that's been on the news all over the place for the last few years. It's a technically unconfirmed rumor, but it's probably not the kind of thing that once it's leaked, Disney is going to go back and say, oops, we're not going to do that. So, Bruh, I, I don't know how I missed that, but that's insane. That that okay. Well, my my uh, outlook on the film world has gone further downwards. I mean, so it tend- <laughs> I think your contract expires at the be- you know another few days, like sometime at the beginning of September, maybe September fifteenth. So everyone I, I knew was anticipating that she was not going to get renewed. I know, uh, I know, but I it seems they they definitely can't. Like even if it were they weren't planning to do it, you know, even if they weren't planning on renewing it. There's no way that after that gets leaked, they're going to, like, go back on it. And they're not going to look bad in the media that, you know, oh, they they gave in to fan backlash or something like that. So uh, Those conniving... Oh, I have so many names for Disney. Uh. <laughs> yes, so who knows how much longer... Cat, but we, it sounds like we, we're probably going to have Kathleen Kennedy continuing to head... Lucasfilm. We've got to suffer through this longer. (laughs) Well, uh, in the face of that, I say uh, pray for films. (laughs) And also, um, uh, I don't know, just keep uh, saying that you're mad at Disney. Say, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad. And uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll listen. I don't know. But uh, that is uh, bad news for sure. (laughs) At least if they went the corporatist route, they would stop offending people, even though they would still be terrible films. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like the pure, like, just Marvel minus weird stuff. Uh, maybe maybe they would get, like, a, a few more people to watch, but I think really what they need is a complete change in direction. Uh, and looks like they're not doing that, so. Mm. Uh, wow. Well, that's fun. <laughs> I, I, you know, I can only hope that that doesn't end up being being true. But yeah. Uh, well, okay. Uh, I will. I want to say something more positive. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or at least just uh, stop thinking about that uh, possibility that I thought was not a possibility. Um, yeah, so uh, we well, you want to go live on Rumble, but it costs money. It costs money to go live on Rumble right now. It's not going to cost money forever, so it's not the end of the world. It's a new technology for them. But I would love to get there live before ever anyone else is on there. You know what's really cool? If you search podcast on Rumble, like half of the search results are us. I just got to say that. If Wow, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, if you search like... Um, Scarlett Johansson. We've done like three videos that pertain to Black Widow in some way or another. And uh, two of them come up on the first page. I gotta say, 
For those of you on Rumble who are pushing those views up and uh, clicking that Rumble button and pushing us uh, up in the rankings, I love you so much. Uh, but one favor I've got to ask for you, if we can get just one person uh, to click on that Locals link and become a member, I will absorb the rest of the cost of the membership that allows us to go live. I just want one backer, one person who will sponsor and I, you will get a shout out. You'll get a lot of love and uh, maybe I'll, uh, I mean, I can't, we don't have mixed media merch, but maybe I can send you a free uh, Ariel hat or something like that um, <laughs> from, from me personally. But I would love you forever if uh, for $5 a month, you can go to Locals and uh, you can help us to get live on Rumble before everyone else gets it for free. And that way we can be the premier podcast as we almost are on that platform. So I would really love that. And also, like, I just want to hear you guys. I don't think we've got anyone on Rumble from Rumble on our Discord, um, even though, you know, you guys seem to be loving the content on there. Our, num our subscriber numbers, they, they, keep, they keep ticking up as we release uh, podcast episodes. So... Join us on Discord. We're friends. We talk about stuff all the time. I'm trying to talk about stuff more. I'm in the middle of post-production uh, on, on a film, so I'm like uh, a, little, a little overworked over here. Um, and then, oh, here's another piece of good news. I forgot, almost forgot. I alluded uh, many weeks ago. It might have been, or maybe it's less than that. It was like maybe like five weeks ago or something like that. I alluded to the fact that I might be doing something cool with another podcast network. I've gotten a positive word from the CEO, and that also means that uh, I'm going to be working on another podcast, not a host, of course, but, you know, doing marketing stuff for it. And I don't know, maybe there's a possibility of a cool, a cool thing happening there. We'll see. I can't promise it at all. I haven't even talked to him about that, but I think it'd be, it could be cool. It could be fun. So, uh, yeah. I just wanted to put that good news out there. So with that, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, have a good week. And uh, if there's any link that you want, they're all in the description. Um, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.